This week, I'm talking with career coach Jenna Viviano about how to land your dream job. And without giving everything away, let me tell you that a perfect resume is not the answer. Welcome to Figuring It Out, a weekly podcast about navigating modern life in our 20s and 30s. I'm your host, Melissa Guller, and each week we explore a new topic through interviews, stories, research, and input from listeners like you. Let me just say what everyone is thinking. Job hunting is the worst. We spend hours searching through job boards, perfecting our resumes, and brushing up on our interview skills, but do any of those efforts even pay off? And I don't know about you, but I've often wondered if I'm even looking for the right job in the first place. I've taken dozens of career assessments, most of them free on the internet, but a few books for good measure, and the results, shockingly, are all over the board. So how do I know what job is right for me? To help us learn more about both identifying and landing your dream job, let's meet today's guest. Jenna Viviano is a Nashville-based virtual career coach and entrepreneur who knows what it's like to go through multiple career changes. She's worked on Wall Street as an investment banker, reported live from the floor of the New York Stock Exchange, and scored a job at a growing career startup, The Muse, before launching her virtual coaching practice full-time. Her sweet spot is helping go-getter professionals all over the world articulate their branded career story to land their dream jobs. In this episode, Jenna gets real about some of the biggest mistakes she sees job hunters make. And we talk about the job hunt criteria they didn't teach either one of us in school. We'll answer the question, should I be a rock star? And we talk about what it takes to shift careers. Finally, we'll talk about how to network like a human without making it weird. And Jenna tells us why she's breaking up with resumes. To start, Let's learn more about how Jenna decided she needed to make a career shift of her own. I did a lot of introspection. That's the first part is evaluating where I was at and what I really loved about what I was doing at my work and what I hated doing. And then also actually going back to young Jenna and seeing, thinking about what did I really want in my career before I even started college. And honestly, for me, I wanted to be a Broadway star. And so I find that I'm most thriving when I'm presenting, when I'm teaching, when I'm creating, which is what I used to be doing when I was younger before I got educated, if you will. Um, so I would always say, here are my strengths, here are my weaknesses. How can I move more towards my strengths instead of trying to overcome my weaknesses all the time? And I realized that finance and Wall Street it's great for some people. I know some people that are excellent there was not me, was not my personality, was not the goals that I had for myself in my life and my career. It's interesting to hear you talk about your Broadway dreams as a kid, because I feel like that's the kind of job we were all told was unrealistic, couldn't pay the bills, and were dissuaded from pursuing that kind of fantasy rock star career. But some people, that is the right calling and the right fit for them. So what advice would you give to somebody who's thinking of pursuing one of those big fantasy type of careers? First of all, you have to be honest with yourself. Do I have the talent? Do you honestly believe that you have the talent? Um, that is, it's a hard industry to get into. And I, I would never discourage someone from going after their dreams. Um, but I think part of it comes down to like really evaluating where are you at? And do you really have talent of other people affirmed that? And the same goes for if you want to change careers. And I have some folks, I always tell people like, if you're trying to go from 
finance to fashion or fashion to finance, it, it might be a little bit difficult. Um, so I tell people there are some realistic standards to look at. So obviously, you have to figure out what do you want to do. But then part of that, what do you want to do is why do I want to do it? And getting a little bit deeper to the why behind it, because usually the why comes down to a lifestyle or perks with it, or maybe interests you have. And usually I tell people, can you do that as a hobby? Can you do it as a side hustle? Do you have to do it as a full time gig? Are there are other ways that you can use that same skill set to pivot into a different industry that you'd be more interested in to kind of give them more options that you don't have to go big or go home all the time. You just brought up something so interesting that I don't think many people consider when they're choosing a career. And that's the lifestyle. We think about the skills you need for a job or maybe the day-to-day tasks or the industry we'd like to work in. But I don't think many people spend time considering the type of lifestyle that their career lends itself to. Yeah, it's funny. The lifestyle one is not one that I was taught in college. Like, what do you want your lifestyle to look like? I think that's one of the biggest ones that we don't address. We don't actually allow people the opportunity to say, what do I want? We say, here's what you should do, or here's what success looks like. And so oftentimes it comes down to people understanding, do you choose success based off of what you actually want? Or is it based off of what other people you want other people to perceive you as? So for myself, for instance, when I was in investment banking, I, to be perfectly frank and honest and vulnerable, and I'm probably sharing too much oversharing, but I like the prestige of it. I I was, I was, it was vanity, total vanity. And it really wasn't, didn't come down to the success that I actually really wanted in my career, which was impact which was um, flexibility, which was freedom, which was ability to work on creative. Like those were the things that are actually important to me, but I just got sucked into the lie that money was the one thing that mattered most. I have a feeling that a ton of listeners can really relate to having that feeling. And to be clear too, it happens not just there on Wall Street. I say that there, I have plenty of friends that they are designed to be there and they actually are very generous people. They're very wonderful people. So it's not a specific, and you could say the same thing about startups nowadays. Honestly, when I was going to work for the Muse, I had to check my heart and say, are you just doing this because you like the prestige of saying I work for this startup? Um, which at the time was kind of not prestigious at all. It was like I was a 30 person company and, and, you know, it was, it was very small. They were pre series A. But yeah, I think it can go both ways. You have to really check to see is the prestige more what you care about or is the lifestyle more what you care about? Because the lifestyle that goes with these jobs is something that people don't really talk about, but really need to be honest with themselves is what they care about most. So it really just comes down to, to honesty with yourself, getting really specific about what you want and then seeing what's possible from the, from the shakeout of all those things. I think the lifestyle example you're giving applies a lot to the rock star mm, as well. Mm-hmm. Because if you think about the lifestyle of a rock star, you are on the road all the time. You have to respond to a record label and to fans and you have to do mm-hmm. all of these very demanding things where maybe you just want to be a rock star because you enjoy music. Yeah. So to talk about your point before, maybe it's a hobby for you. Yeah, exactly. And it could be a hobby. And sometimes it's not. And sometimes it could be. And usually when you give somebody the option of saying, hey, this is something you're really passionate about. Is there a way that you could incorporate it into your life? Do you have to make money from it? Because oftentimes I think to myself, if I were to actually have gone and done Broadway or gone and done music and had to attach a number to it, it, I would have lost the enjoyment out of it. What I got from that experience of doing that would have been probably totally different for me personally. Everybody's different. Obviously, I have friends that are on Broadway and they're amazing and they're very gifted and talented and they are living out how God created them. (laughs) And so for me, um, I think about, but for me personally, I'm very grateful that I kind of chose to pivot that a little bit and just use those skills in different ways. I think that's a great point. That something that wasn't necessarily a fit for you in your career 
is a great fit for somebody else. And really choosing a career is such a personal choice. I think it's very easy today to just to look left and right and see what everyone else is doing and comparing yourself to what their life looks like or perceives. I mean, I'm even guilty of it, right? I look at other entrepreneurs. I'm like, oh, they have the dream right now. When other people probably look at me and like, oh, she's living the dream right now. You know? <laughs> yeah. And so the cycle continues. And so instead of looking left and right is what I tell people, because I get a lot of people, a lot of high achievers um, that come to me. So if you're a high achiever, I want to work with you. But what the, one of the biggest issues that a lot of those people face is looking left and right to see like where their peers are at or friends are at or people that are maybe younger than them in school. And now they're ahead of them, quote unquote, in their careers. And so they really struggle with this this mentality. I actually see it a lot in San Francisco folks. I don't know what it is about San Francisco and what they're breeding out there, but <laughs> my San Francisco clients are always looking left and right. Um, instead of just staying in your own lane, just look forward. What is the next move you have to make in your career, what you want to do? Um, there's, a, there's another quote that I tell people and say, hey, think about your life and think about your retirement party. What are the things you want people to have said about you? What are the projects you want to have been involved with? That is what the things you need to be thinking about, not what Joe Schmo is doing over at XYZ Company that may not exist next year. Hmm. I think that's so powerful, telling people to look forward or envisioning their life, kind of the retirement party picture. I think that's such a helpful framework for so many people. Yeah. And like a third of our lives are spent working. So we should enjoy what we do. Is it going to be perfect 100% of the time? I make my own schedule. I create my own business and I don't love my job 100% of the time, but I love it 90 to 95%. (laughs) So I don't think it's too much to ask to find a job that you love. Um, You just have to get clear on what you love. Such great advice. Now, once people do get clear on what they love, That brings us into our next section, which of course is, well, how do I land the job? So Jenna, as a career coach, I'm sure you've seen it all. What are some of the top mistakes or dare I say pet peeves that you have about the job application process? Mm, I have so many, so many pet peeves. No, my name, <laughs> like where to start? Yeah, where do I begin? My number one thing that I cannot stand in the job search process today is that people are only applying online. That is the most ineffective way to find a job. So um, I really highly recommend networking and networking well and appropriately, which I have plenty of templates that I give my clients on. And it's more about how you're saying it, not what you're saying when you're asking somebody for their time or talking to them or networking with people. I tell people to quit making networking awkward. Don't be weird. All that it is, is mutually beneficial professional relationships developed over time key on developed over time. So you need to constantly be, I always tell my new grads, I'm like, you need to be networking today, yesterday. You should always be connecting with people and doing it in a genuine way so that in the future they can benefit from whatever you have to offer and vice versa. And so that's my one big pet peeve is that people only apply online and just pray to the recruiting gods that something like sticks to the wall, which is the most inefficient use of your time. And the second thing is just relying on the resume to hopefully get you through the door, which is kind of related to just applying online. Quit tweaking your resume and start working on your elevator pitch. That's my two cents. (laughs) (laughs) So when people start working on their elevator pitch and they start networking, what is some of your best advice about how to not make it awkward? So I think that networking in general, it should just be a natural expression of who you are. I don't think that it's happy hours. Um, I don't think that it's going to big events and trying to meet somebody awkwardly in a crowd. I hate that. And I'm an extrovert, an extra extrovert. So if I hate that, I can't imagine what my introverted people feel like. Um, so what I tell people is 
try and just make one-on-one connections with folks. And I usually tell people that there are four tiers to networking. So one is friends and family. Your professional network is still your friends and family. Um, I did this. I reached out to a bunch of friends and said, I know you're not in XYZ industry, but do you know anyone that is? Turns out one of my friends, a friend's dad worked in sales at the top. It's like a top guy at some company. And I wouldn't have known that if I hadn't just asked the question. That's the first thing is just being willing to be vulnerable and just ask, hey, do you know of anybody? Um, So the first is friends and family. Second would be... um, current and past colleagues. I say current with an asterisk. I <laughs> mean, if you feel comfortable, some people are very open that they're moving on to a new company. Um, some people, most people are, are not, obviously. But if they're past colleagues and you're looking to stay in the same industry, they probably know people at other organizations. Um, so then you have third is your college alumni. So a lot of people kind of leave college and they're like, oh my gosh, I have so much debt. I don't even want to talk to them anymore, um, which I understand that. I relate. <laughs> um, but I think the other thing that you need to realize is that they still can serve you even after you've left. And so I've had people go back out to their um, career centers and reach back out and ask them for contacts, get them connected with other alumni in the area, have set up mentorship meetings. I mean, there's so many possibilities that you are probably not utilizing with your alumni network if you have one. Um, and then the last key is cold outreach. So just reaching out to people randomly, being very strategic about who you're reaching out to um, at the companies that you're interested in working at. So I'm glad that you brought this up because cold outreach is something that I was so uncomfortable with for a long time. And I felt like I was asking too much or that it was just very awkward to do. So what is a good way to do cold outreach in a way that is authentic and not just kind of gross feeling? If you're genuinely curious about what they're doing in their career and lead with that versus, hey, I'd like to talk to you about this specific job XYZ. That's the wrong way to go about it. Or like, I saw this job on your on your job board. Do you know anything about it? Or would you like, would you look at your resume and see if, I mean, these are things that people have actually done, clients that have told me that they've done this. I'm like, oh, please stop. Um, <laughs> and because it is awkward. It's weird. If someone did that to me, I'd be like, bye. Um, and so basically what I tell folks is, just ask somebody for 10 to 15 minutes of their time to talk about their career and what they've done in it. And oftentimes what happens in those conversations is the person, if they're a normal social human being, will flip it around and say, hey, well, why don't you tell me about yourself? Bingo. Opportunity. You get to talk about yourself in a non-awkward way with the right verbiage if you have it. And that's a different, totally different conversation where people don't really know how to talk about what they do. Um which is a huge problem. Um, because if you can't effectively talk about what you do, no one else is going to understand it. So yeah, so I think it comes down to just being more strategic about who you're reaching out to within these firms and not asking for anything but 10 to 15 minutes of their time. That's your only ask. You're not asking them for the job in- immediately. It's a longer play. It feels like a longer play, but really it's a longer play if you're just throwing resumes out there hoping something will stick to the wall. You have a more proactive versus reactive approach. Mm-hmm. But as with any good relationship, it seems like you should be taking baby steps. That's how something would build naturally anyway. So mm-hmm. a genuine ask for 15 minutes of your time instead of jumping all the way into a committed relationship of hire me. I mean, it makes so much sense as you're saying it. Yeah, it's very similar to dating. I say it all the time. Like, would you ask somebody to get married on the first date? You might, but uh, that's very rare, you know? (laughs) (laughs) That's kind of weird. So you would ask them probably on a second date. So think of it as just a first date. Hey, I'm just going to know you a little bit more, 10, 15 minutes of my time. Maybe your second date's a little bit longer. Maybe your third date, they're like, and it happens over time. I often tell people that, you know, you should have what I, what I call like a little black book of, of networking networks. 
um, of people that you know that you reach back out to on a quarterly basis. Um, and so that gets you in the habit of, of continually networking, not only inside your firm, but outside your firm. I love that idea. I'm going to steal it for myself. Yes, do it. (laughs) (laughs) The other thing I wanted to circle back to before I forget is about resumes. So I know you have thoughts on resumes. I know you've recently (laughs) broken up with resumes, I think is how you phrased it. Yes. So do you want to tell us more about what's so bad about the resume? You know, I sent an email out that told a bunch of people that I was doing that. And I had so many people respond being like, I'm with you. I hate resumes. (laughs) It's like you gave them permission to finally say it. Struck a chord. Dang. No. um, (laughs) Yeah. So I think the thing is, is that I'd worked with, I mean, I've worked with over 800 people at this point. Wow. Yeah, I've been doing this for about th- three years now um, or so, and majority of that was all part-time. So I was working two jobs, basically. <laughs> Dang, girl. <laughs> yeah, it was a lot. Um, so at some point, you know, you push comes to shove. You got to decide, hey, am I going to launch this thing and invest in myself or am I not? So um, I'm glad that I decided that I was going to. But what I've noticed is that people were like, Jenna, should I, should I, education be at the top? Should be one or two pages? Am I, am I, what do I need to put here, here, and here? Like, do you think these bullets are too long? I'm like, oh my gosh, your resume gets looked at for 20 seconds. Mm-hmm. If that. And let me ask you the question. Tell me about yourself. And then the response is usually crickets, question mark, no idea how to phrase it. That's the problem. How much is your net, how much networking are you doing? Crickets, you know, and so what it became was this was, is a crutch. The resumes are a crutch for people in the job search industry. When you're going through trying to find a new job, you might just throw something out there. Well, if it responds, then that's supposed to be my job. Yo, that's not the right way to strategically go about your job search. So I broke up with them. I thought I was giving people such a disservice. It's part of the package. It's part of having your marketing package in order. But if people are just getting that redone, hoping some resume writer is going to put all the fancy pants keywords in it, that's going to get picked up by the applicant tracking systems. They're going to be in for a rude awakening. They're going to be waiting a very long time. And so I just thought it was a disservice to folks. So I stopped offering just that service. It's part of a larger package now where I think that you need to have all the pieces in place in order for that resume to be effective. Um, Because if you're not getting in front of the right hands, it's not really helpful. Um, But yeah, so I I broke up with them. I I tell folks that 70% of jobs are still found through referrals. So if you're still just applying online and you're not networking, you're going to be up a crick without a paddle. So you need to not focus so much on the resumes. They're important, but they're not the end all be all. And I think the other thing is, it's not hard to differentiate yourself once you've figured out what your differentiating factor is. 95% of the people that go through my interview program alone get the job or go into the next level. And the reason is is because they know how to talk about themselves in an intelligent way. It really comes into how are you able to sell yourself? Because unfortunately, you're a salesperson. Even if you don't like sales, you are a salesperson and you are selling the product that is you in the job search process. So if you can't tell an employer why you are the unique and right person for the job, you're not going to get the job. But if you do do that because no one else is doing it, you're going to get the job. So let's talk about this more because I know a big part of your coaching and your practice is helping people create their own career story to help differentiate themselves from the pack. Yeah. So can you tell us first what is a career story and then why it's so powerful? Yeah. A career story is basically just your elevator pitch, your answer to the question, tell me about yourself or what do what do you do? Um, and really what it comes down to is you have to understand what does the employer want? What value are you going to bring to the employer and being able to play it off of what they are interested in hearing? So you may have a ton of skill sets, but they may only want to know that you're really good at managing people because that's the main idea of this job. So many people don't even read job descriptions. So let's say you go into an interview, right? And you maybe read the job description once over. 
ineffective. You are not going to get the job. You're going to be lucky if you get the job. I'll say that. Um, because that's going to be the majority of your information that's going to be there. It's going to tell you the main idea and context clues that you need to know to say, what is the main idea of this job? Why, why are they hiring for this position? How do I fit into the framework of every other part of this company? Once you figure that out and get to the root of what they need, you can talk intelligently. You can sell yourself effectively. Um, and then you, you're going to have a really great answer to, to tell me about yourself because it's not going to be this long career list history of all the jobs you've ever had. It's going to be the things that they need to hear instead. That's so smart and so counterintuitive because the question is, tell us about yourself. But your suggestion is to research the company and to really talk about them when you answer this so that they can picture what you would be like at their company. Mm-hmm. You have to remember that a company, and I've been on the hiring side, so I think me seeing that side was really helpful actually with clients, where if people just talk about themselves and what they do, but not in relationship to how that's going to be impactful for the company, the company doesn't know what ROI they're going to get on you. They're already investing so much of their time and resources into interviewing you. And if you waste their time and don't tell them why they should hire you in an effective way that makes sense to them, which means you have to do a little bit of research beforehand, sorry, um, they're not going to hire you. Why would they hire you and waste their money, right? And so that's that's a lot of where people don't understand why they can't get a job. It really comes down to not being able to effectively understand what they want in the first place. I think most people don't think about what the hiring manager needs. And I've been a hiring manager, and I can tell you that what they need and want is to fill this role as soon as possible. Absolutely. All they want is for you to be incredible and like you're saying, it would be their dream for you to come in and sell them on why you are about to solve all of their problems. Yeah. I have a couple of clients that we work through um, projects that they come in actually to the first interview and they're like, this is my plan. This is my understanding of what your business is right now. This is my understanding of the industry. They get the job. Of course they get the job because why would they not? <laughs> you know, it's not really rocket science. If you are able to bring to the table a plan in place, because the biggest issue, and you can probably confirm this as a hiring manager, is they're fearful that you can't do the job. Exactly. And so if you can prove that you can do the job before you have the job, you got the job. That's all I want is reassurance that you have the skills, you understand my business, and you would be a great fit here. Yeah, absolutely. It really comes down to the results you produced. If you don't, that's another thing about resumes. If you're just giving me a job description type resume, I'm not interested. You need to give me something that showcases the results that you produced for a company. And if you don't know, this is another thing you should be doing on a quarterly basis, writing down what you accomplished this quarter. <laughs> because when it comes time to write your resume, you're going to be like, I don't remember what I did. It's normal. I've done the same thing. But being able to showcase results is so key to effectively telling someone why they should hire you. Definitely. I keep a folder in my inbox and I have a running note anytime somebody gives me praise or some project has gone really well because you never know when you need those in your back pocket. And when the moment comes up, you are not going to remember a thing. Mm -hmm. So I love the idea of taking time quarterly to really track those wins. Yeah. And most people don't spend a lot of time on their career. They go to work and they're like, I don't want to think about it. But if you don't think about it and you don't take the time to really actively be engaged in your career, even if you hate your job. Mm -hmm. There's going to be one thing you like about it. And there has to be one thing, one small, tiny thing. Maybe you like looking at your inbox every morning. I don't know what it is. <laughs> <laughs> you like having to commute. You hate having to commute. I don't know what it is. But you like doing something in your job. So you need to be engaged because if you're not engaged, you're going to get apathetic. And that is worse than hating your job. It seems like engagement has been a real thread throughout this conversation. We talked about being engaged in networking and being more engaged than just sending in a simple PDF and calling it a day or even taking ownership about what you want your career to look like. 
Yeah. With the people I work with, I'm like, you are such a go-getter. You got into Princeton. Or, I mean, I don't work with people who just go to Princeton, but (laughs) generally speaking, they're go-getters in their careers. And so I think to myself, and I say this to them, I said, you went above and beyond to get into this school. You went above and beyond to get this job, but now you've just kind of pooped out because you're exhausted. And I get it. You're allowed to be for a second, but I'm also going to get you by up by your bootstraps and you need to put in that effort 110% again, because you will achieve because no one else is doing it. And so in order for you to be successful in your career, you just got to put in a smidgen more. And even if you do that one tiny thing, you're already so far ahead of the pack. Yeah. I tell people that you don't, people always ask me, well, if I join your program, how many hours is it going to take? I said, that's the wrong question to ask because I don't tell you how many hours, because I don't believe that's an efficient way to spend time. How many tasks should you be doing? So what are the smidgen of tasks you can add to your day that might take you five, 10 minutes, but it's going to propel you forward. It's kind of like if you go on a diet, right? If you try and do everything all at once, get rid of gluten, dairy, sugar, alcohol, all of it, you're going to crash and burn probably within week one. Some people do it. God bless you. I'm not that person. (laughs) But you know, it's the same thing with your job search process. If you try and go job searching for like four hours after work, you're going to hate your life. It's terrible. It's not fun. We've dehumanized the process, which again, is a totally different conversation. But, you know, you got to do a little bit every single day that's going to add up over time. And next thing you know, you've lost a bunch of weight, aka you got a new job. I think that's such a great reminder that big changes are just little steps made over time. Yeah, be satisfied with your small. It's okay. All right, here are our final questions. What's something that you're currently figuring out? I think for me, I am figuring out work-life balance, which is ironic, right? (laughs) Um, (laughs) So owning your own business, you could be on 24-7. And so trying to learn how to shut off. Um, I also got a new puppy, so mom life. So I'm trying to adjust to that (laughs) as well. (laughs) So I think it's just really work-life balance. I'm trying to figure out how to effectively manage my days and do revenue producing tasks, but also allow myself flexibility to learn. And, and so I'm, I'm pivoting a little bit myself and structuring my days and how that looks. Mm -hmm. And I know you're still kind of in the process, but is there maybe an example of one thing that you found that has been helpful for you? Yes. I calendar block. Um, I really, I live by my Google calendar. And so I think for me, even scheduling in time, like, Hey, you're going to work out. Hey, you're going to take your dog out. Hey, you're going to stop working and you're going to go sit out by your pool because I have one. Cause I don't live in New York and, <laughs> oh, the and you're going to New York. <laughs> yeah. And I know when my energy levels sink too, like two to 3 PM, I am just toast most mm-hmm. days. Um, unless I'm talking to a client that energizes me, but if I'm just doing like work in the afternoon where I'm working by myself on my laptop, I close my laptop. And I'm just reading now, reading something that's going to be energizing to me. So I think it's those types of things where I've been purposeful about and intentional about my time. Mm -hmm. Um, It doesn't always work perfectly, but it's working a little bit. And for people who haven't heard the term calendar blocking, can you tell us what that means? Yeah. So I pull out my Google calendar. It's color coded. It has different time blocks that I have blocked off for um, eating for, um, maybe working on a specific project and only allowing myself to work on that project from X time to X time. I've started doing that too, because I noticed I used to just book things like meetings or time spent with friends, things that were an obligation really to somebody else. But I noticed I wasn't booking any obligations to myself Mm. and they were all slipping through the cracks. So I started doing the same thing. I block off time to 
work out. Like you said, I block off time to call my mom. I block off time to just get out and enjoy beautiful days in the New York summertime. So if it's on my calendar, it's more likely to happen. And even little tasks, I've started blocking off an hour a week where I just do, quote, tasks I didn't want to do. Yeah. It's doing, I found that doing the hardest stuff or first thing in the morning, I've read a lot of studies about it and they say doing the hardest things first thing in the morning will make your day feel so much more productive, which is 100% true, Mm -hmm. which is why I work out in the morning because that's very hard for me to do. (laughs) (laughs) And it's a great way to start off your day too. It is. It makes you feel energized. Mm -hmm. But I'll say too, if you don't enjoy working out or if there's something else that you can do in the morning, I've found that anything I can do first thing that I can accomplish Mm -hmm. gives me that feeling that I did it. And it starts my day off on a great note. Yeah, I love being productive. It's like my favorite thing. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. All right. Our next question is, what is something that you wish more people knew? That you don't have to have it all figured out 100% of the time. I know that people kind of know that, but they don't internalize it, right? So there is no way that you can be 100% 100% of the time. And I've had to learn that for myself where... I have, I put a lot of pressure on myself. I'm an Enneagram three, if you know anything about that, the personality test. So I'm I'm an Enneagram three and I'm a high achiever and I'm always achieving, achieving, achieving. And so part of that is me thinking that I need to have it all together all the time. Mm -hmm. And part of the beauty, I think, of being able to speak with people is saying that, hey, I don't have it together 100%, 100% of the time. And just thinking into that and having grace for yourself in that process and, and knowing that it's okay if it's not, if you don't have it all together. I think that's so important for more people to talk about how we don't all have it together all the time. I mean, the name of my podcast is Figuring It Out because I feel like I am still in the process of doing that. And I think it's important to talk about the process and not just having every answer 100% of the time and being on 100% of the time. And by the way, for people listening, I'll put the link to the Enneagram personality quiz in the show notes in case people would like to take it for themselves and figure out what we're talking about. Yes, all my Southern friends are very into it. I'd never heard of it until I moved down here, but it is the newfangled thing, apparently. I'll admit I found out from a Southern friend as well. So maybe you're onto something. (laughs) Southern people, I don't know what it is now. (laughs) So we have a fun question to wrap up. Okay. If you had to describe yourself as three fictional characters, which three would you choose and why? Oh, gosh. Um, I know you've been stressing about this one. (laughs) (laughs) Stressing about this one. Okay. My first two definite ones are Anne of Green Gables. I loved her as a kid. Uh, She was like my spirit animal. She was very feisty and she just loved to read and she just had such gumption about her and love words. Um, I still use the word kindred spirits because she used it throughout most things. So um, throughout the book, she would say kindred spirits a lot. So I love her because she is my kindred spirit. And um, she had braids and was fantastic. And uh, anyways, <laughs> the second one would be um, Scarlett O'Hara because she also had gumption and she was just feisty. She was also kind of a brat, which so I don't assimilate to that, but she was just very herself. And I appreciated that about her. Um, and then the last one, does it have to be fictional? It has to be fictional, right? Well, but now I'm curious, so I might let it slide. Let's see who you're thinking of. Sarah Blakely, I just want to be her. She's just so fun. I think she's kind of a fictional character because I don't believe her to be real. She's the founder of Spanx. She's like a billionaire, but she's got these four kids. She's like in her 40s, I think, or she, she's she got these four kids under like eight or something oh crazy. And her Instagram is a riot. Her and her husband are a hoot. And I'm just like, you people are not real, but I love her. I think she's so great. So she's kind of fictional to me because she's, I've never met her. But she's just really, she's funny and she doesn't take herself too seriously that she has this very serious 
business. And she's always showing people her spanks on her Instagram. I don't know. She's just funny. I love her. I love, I clearly like people that are spirited. That must be my thing. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say a lot of ladies with gumption for you. Yeah, a lot of gumption. Well, Jenna, it's been such a pleasure. And before we wrap, any final pieces of advice or wisdom you want to share with our listeners? Yeah, I think that it is okay to be wherever you are in your story. So whether it's your career or your life, um, obviously, I talk about careers a lot, but don't feel like you haven't made it yet. Because you maybe don't feel like where you, you should be where you are in your career. I mean, even just Sarah Blakely is a great example. Her business kind of blew up um, a little bit later in life. And she was you know, doing it out of her house. I mean, there's just so many stories you hear of that. And so kind of own it where you are at and enjoy it where you're at, but also plan for the future. Um, So don't be reactive in the process of of where you are in your career, but also don't hate yourself if you're not exactly where you want to be. I think that's going to be such a relief for so many people to hear. And I love that you don't have to feel like you've made it yet. You've got time. Yeah. You've got time. And what does that even mean? Right? So again, Enneagram three, always achieving. I'm always trying to achieve something. (laughs) So are you ever going to arrive? Probably not. I have my grandmother. She goes, Jenna, I'm still trying to figure out what I want to be when I grow up. And so you kind of just have to (laughs) laugh at it because it's so true. So many people say that, like, what do you want to be now that you're all grown up? I don't know. Mm -hmm. Just let yourself evolve. You don't have to have, nobody has a um, singular career trajectory anymore. So don't even worry about it. Don't even worry about it. Indeed. Well, before we go, I would love to have people visit you, keep up with all your latest projects. So where can people find you? Yeah. So I have a website. um, That's my name, jennaviviano.com. And I would love to talk with you if you are interested in making a career transition and you are a go-getter professional that really values vesting in yourself and investing in your career and sees value to that. Um, I can definitely help people, the right people, um, talk about themselves more intelligently, figure out what they want to do, craft their elevator pitch, and then land the job. So on my website, I can, can set up a 30-minute free strategy session just to learn more about you and meet you and, and see if I can help. Love it. And I'll definitely put a link to that in the show notes as well as some of your social media handles so people can follow you wherever they want to be. Thank you so much. This is super fun. Yeah, this was great. It's been such a pleasure having you, Jenna. Thank you for inviting me. I think that's a wrap. Even if you aren't searching for a job, taking time to build relationships in your professional network is so important. But just like building a new friendship or a new romantic relationship, real connections are built over time and you have to start small. That's why this week's Try It Out Challenge is to reach out to one person you'd like to get to know better. If you're searching for a job, choose someone at a company you're researching. If you're growing your career, Reach out to a peer or someone in a role similar to yours or in a role you'd like to have. In any case, find someone you think is interesting who you'd like to connect with. And remember that your goal is to send a genuine message and to build an authentic connection. So think about this as a starting point, not asking for a favor. Let us know how your Try It Out challenge goes this week at figuringitoutpodcast.com slash two. That URL will take you to the show notes for this week's episode, and you'll be able to see the prompt and submit your own voice recording or comments right on the website. Again, that's figuringitoutpodcast.com slash two, the number two.
can learn more about Jenna's services and book a free 30-minute strategy call at jennaviviano.com. And if you want easy access to all of Jenna's URLs and any of the resources we mentioned today, you can see the show notes for this podcast episode anytime at figuringitoutpodcast.com backslash two, the number two. While you're there, you can also subscribe to this podcast on any of your favorite listening apps. Again, that URL to see today's show notes and to subscribe to our podcast is figuringitoutpodcast.com backslash two. I hope you enjoyed this episode about landing the job with networking queen, Jenna Viviano. I'm Melissa Guller, and you've been listening to Figuring It Out. See you next week.